Uh, I, love, I love all the noise. Beautiful communal noise. Welcome again. My name is Heath. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so good to have you. It is so good to be back after being away for a little bit. And it is my uh, joy and privilege to uh, uh, continue to preach through James today. Um, so shall we delight in the word of life together? Does that sound good? All right. We are going to be in James chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Do you believe what you say you believe? How do you know that you do? How do you know that you are not self-deceived? about what you believe, because after all, we're human beings and we are masters at the craft of self-deception, aren't we? Do they believe what they say they believe? What they say they believe when they're interviewed on MSNBC or on Fox or some other channel, some other radio broadcast? Does he believe what he says he believes, you know? The guy on Facebook who deals in Christian memes, traffics in them, who baptizes your media feed every day with scriptures and quotes. And does she believe what she says she believes? The lady with the poster boards and the slogans at the rally and the stickers on the back of her car. And do I believe what I say I believe? You know the pastor up front here who's opening the Bible and talking about this Jesus. Do you believe what you say you believe? And how do you know that you do? How do you know that you aren't self-deceived? These, these, I think, are serious questions that carry great weight. Now, I don't know about you, but I have asked these questions before. I have heard somebody profess Jesus as Lord on TV or on a poster board at a protest or in a meme or, or with a hashtag in front of it or, or through the use of quotation or scripture in a conversation. And I have asked after seeing some of the things that I had been seeing, 
Sometimes I've asked cynically, sometimes I've asked humbly and honestly, just wondering, do they really believe what they say they believe? Have you guys ever asked something like that? Yeah? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Really, are they truly a follower of Christ? Is that true belief? Or is that virtue signaling? Is that confusion? Is that duplicity? Is that manipulation? Is it something else? Now, have you ever asked that of yourself? Have you been reading your Bible and asked, do I really believe what I'm reading here? Have you been here in church singing and asked, do I believe what I am singing right now? Have you done it during a sermon? Do I really believe what I'm hearing? So how do you know? How do you know? Well, I think the wisdom of God that comes through the letter of James offers some help with these kind of questions. See, James is concerned about his readers, the churches that are scattered all over the Mediterranean world. He's concerned about them, that they would be truly following Jesus, that there would be an alignment and an integrity to their lives, that they would believe, truly believe what they profess to believe. And as we've been talking about in the last couple weeks, James is a book of wisdom literature. It's something of a New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. And James is concerned about living well because wisdom has to do with living well. We've been saying that wisdom is living well in God's world. Wisdom is living well in God's world according to his word. Or you can say it this way, that it is the art or the skill of living in accordance with reality. So, with that said, let's look at how James is trying to help the churches live well. We're going to walk through this passage uh, verse by verse and see what James is up to as he talks about all sorts of things. Active listening, tongue taming, fruitless anger, mirrors, amnesia, religion, widows, orphans, oh my. It just keeps going, going on, but we're going to see that it is all tied together. So, uh, first things first, right? First things first. God has done something. Verse 18. Of his, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God, out of his love, his very will, his desire, his delight, out of his heart, he has made us followers of Jesus Christ. You do realize Christians are miracles. That God has reached into the darkness and brought light. That God has turned stone into flesh by his initiating grace. God has done something incredible in Christ. By grace we are born anew, drawn out of death, into life, united, unified with him. Well, how? Well, he goes on to say, how? By the word of truth. What does this mean? Well, it means more than a statement that is fact, more than a statement that is true. See, he's referring to Jesus, who is the word of God. Come to this world in the flesh. Jesus is the truth. He is the word of truth, the living, breathing word of God. And this Jesus is found, he is revealed, he is seen in the scriptures, God's written word to us. 
And through the work of Christ, through his faithful doing to the Father's word, he has he saved us, he's, he's redeemed us, he's forgiven our sins, he's given us that new heart we so desperately needed. He's made us kids of the Father. And he has turned our affections to our Heavenly Father. But why? For what purpose? Well, there we have that in the third line. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That we be a foretaste of the world that is to come in full. A world made right. A kingdom of righteousness. A kingdom of righteousness that will renew a soul-ravaging world. And, and this, is, you could say, is about our identity. Renewed, restored image bearers of God who are designed for a purpose. Who are given a meaning and given a mission. And so we are a people who are to inhabit this world a certain way, a good and beautiful way, a people who are to, to be wise and act in accordance with reality, right? Wisdom. Now all of this is key, it's crucial, it's vital as we move forward to see what else James has for us. Because we begin with who we are, we begin with whose we are, we begin with identity, and our identity is a fountain out of which our life flows, so before James says what he's about to say, he says that God has first brought us forth as, as followers of Jesus by his own desires. He's made for himself a people. That's, that's us, grace-initiated. Don't lose sight of that as we move forward, okay? Hold that anchor. So on he goes now. Look at verse 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's, that's right relationships, right relationship with God, right relationship with others. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If we are those born of God... If he brought us forth through grace like a woman brings a child into this world through pain that brings joy, then we are to be a certain kind of people who live in this world. And we are to do certain kinds of things, to live certain ways. And the children of this Father, this Heavenly Father of ours, should be like him. They should be quick to listen because he is a God of, of grace and love and seeing the other person. They should be quick to listen. They should be slow to speak, slow to anger. And the scriptures tell us that God is slow to anger. James highlights these three, by the way, because the pressure is on for the Christians. The Christians at this point, all around the Mediterranean world, and they're radiating further and further out, they are oppressed, they are marginalized, they are facing poverty, they are facing famine, they are, they're facing persecution and, and death. And James knows this, so he wants them to respond well to the violence and the threats and the difficulty that are coming their way. He doesn't want them to lash out and to compromise and be like the world and meet violence for violence and coercion for coercion. He wants them to practice love. Now they are to be people who turn aside from all these different soul-destroying things that we'll find throughout the entirety of this book. Those who receive God's word on life. Those who trust 
what God says about the world. Again, wisdom. By the way, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. These, these aren't just the marks of a certain kind of temperament or personality, you know, just like a gentle, soft-spoken person. These are the marks of all Christians. They are to be the marks of all Christians. One who is saved by the living word put in their soul by God's love. One whose being has been changed, and because their being has been changed, their doing evidences that change. So James says, do these things. Do these things. But here's the thing. Actually do them. <laughs> do them. Don't just think about them. Don't just do a word study on them. Don't just pull up the, the Logos program and do a Hebrew or Greek word study on them. Don't just watch a Bible project video on these things or write a dissertation on these things or discuss them in your con group or over coffee actually do these things bring them to bear on your life and the lives of others that's what he says in verse 22 through 25 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man he looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Right? He looks at himself, he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of, of liberty, who Jesus is, what he has done, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving others because of the love of God that has transformed us, this one being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It is a doer who is blessed. Now, granted, this might sound a little bit confusing at first, this idea of this, this mirror, but it's, it's actually somewhat straightforward. He's, he's contrasting two ways of life, two ways of responding to God. You can hear what God says, or you can hear what he says and then live in accordance. It's trust and untrust. Uh, you can say he's contrasting mirror Christianity, M-I-R-R-O-R, looking glass, mirror Christianity, where you turn around and walk away and you're an amnesiac and forget, you know, that you had something stuck in your teeth. He's contrasting that to mirror Christianity, M-E-R-E, -E, the basics, the fundamentals, we're united with Christ. We are in Christ. We abide with Christ, and then therefore we obey Christ because we love him, because his love is in us. Therefore, we become image bearers, or we are imaging him as image bearers, being fully restored, mere Christianity. And so to hear is, is to understand. To do is to apply what it says to respond properly, to bend your life towards the truth that has come towards you. And if you don't respond and trust by obeying God, then you are deceived. Regardless of the many Bible studies you do, regardless of your huge appetite for sermon podcasts or teaching podcasts, if you aren't living in accordance with reality, if it just stays head knowledge alone, then you're deceived. You will live by the broken narratives of this world in your own heart. The one who hears but doesn't do, he's like this guy who looks in the mirror and walks away forgetting what he saw in the reflection, not acting upon the, the image of strands of hair out of place, so not putting them back, walking away and not doing anything about, you know, the cilantro that's stuck right in the middle there, not doing anything about the smudge on the cheek or the lipstick on, on the teeth, just forgetting, walking away, 
being unchanged. They look but don't act upon what they've seen, amnesiacs that are not changed. But, but the one who looks into God's word, the law of liberty, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, whose love frees us by the power of spirit, who draws us into this triune life because of the Father's great love for us, this love that allows us to love our neighbor, the one who hears it and does it and obeys it, they are the one that receives the blessing. The blessing is in the doing and the trusting. The blessing is found in the faith that takes God at his word. And so we are to taste and see that God is good by obeying. And when we obey, we do. We taste and see that he is truly good. But you know, there, there is something of an epidemic in the Western evangelical Western Christian world. There's, a, there's an epidemic of consuming Christian content but not doing what Christ commands. We can eat it up all day long, one after another, podcast after article, after video, after Bible study, and we become this huge reservoir of, of information and data, but so often it doesn't become wisdom. It isn't enacted. It isn't embodied in this world. We often have bloated heads and atrophied hands. And it makes for a lousy, joyless lot that people confuse for Christians. I mean, think about this. No one learns to ride a bike or to swim or to paint or to play baseball merely by reading some instructions or even hearing a story about it, right? Uh, my daughters recently have learned to swim. We have a six-year-old and, and a four-year-old. But it was not because they both heard from mom and dad some words about how to swim or, or heard the pretty intense words from Coach Dan, swim Coach Dan, on, on, on how to swim. I mean, those were needed and those were helpful, but it was because they were actually in the water and they were kicking and flailing, and then that kicking turned into gliding, and that flailing turned into them swimming like fish now, right? There was practice involved in that. But that said, I just I want to keep offering this corrective because I know we're prone to rip good things apart and divorce the things that are meant to live together. We need to get this straight. Saving the lost is something Jesus does. Saving the lost, that's us, not just those out there, that's us, all of us. Something Jesus does. Following Jesus is something we do. It is an embodied way of being in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it means all of us engaged in it. All of our strength, our mind, our soul, our heart engaged in it. Doing things. Thinking and doing. So we're not saved by our efforts, but salvation bears forth effort, doesn't it? We have this uh, tiny little fig tree in, in our backyard. It makes me feel biblical to have a fig tree in my backyard. I don't know. Um, and it just started bearing some, bearing some fruit. But the fruit of a fig tree doesn't make the roots fig roots. Did you catch that? The fruit of the fig tree doesn't make those roots fig tree roots. It's those fig tree roots and the trunk and the DNA in it which then makes the fruit fig fruit. Sometimes we get these things backwards and feel like 
we have to make ourselves Christians and earn some kind of salvation and we're on this exhausting treadmill. If you're in here and you think that that is not the way it works, God in his love by grace saves you where you're at, brings you into the family, holds you tight, and in his love wants to see you grow and change. Our identity is in Jesus. We are new creations and that leads to a life of doing. James is targeting something that his believers, part, that uh, the, the, the readers, the believers he's talking to, they participated in, and it's just as prevalent today. We can call it easy believism, we can go with Bonhoeffer, we can call it cheap grace, we can call it lip service Christianity, or a, a religion of virtue signaling, devoid of virtue, because there's no faithfulness to Christ in it. I know you've experienced it, guys. A whole lot of talk and concepts and theory about Jesus and the kingdom of God, but a massive gap between that talk and thought and how one actually lives on the ground with others. The culture we swim in in the secular Western world forms us. Don't don't think it doesn't, it forms us. Day in and day out. And it tells us a narrative that we can believe one thing and live another and it's not problematic. And we have been sold this, this lie that we can have a disembodied faith, that somehow that's a thing. It's normalized an unbiblical dualism that goes something like this. Faith and belief. Guys, that's fantastic. That's, that's nice. I'm glad you have that. But that should stay in your head, right? That should stay in your heart. Keep that in your own fantasy land it need not in fact it should not be dragged out into your everyday life or the public sphere into your conversations your wallet your schedule your body or your sexuality they should they should be like this francis schaefer decades ago um an academic a, a apprentice of jesus um apologist he called this the fact value split that there was this rift that cleaved right down through the middle of our Western Enlightenment world that put facts over here, right? Facts, science, empirical stuff, the stuff that we can touch or, or prove, so to speak, that it's this stuff that should see the light of day. It's this stuff that should steer our actions and interactions. But over here, kind of up floating in the sky, is values and faith. And this stuff should be, remain private, locked away. Don't you dare tell anyone that you're Faith and values has any kind of bearing on anyone else. They should stay apart. Too often our understanding of Christianity has been shaped by this lie. Not only that, there's, there's an ancient lie. Call it, um, again, dualism or Gnosticism that says we have this inner part of us and then we have this outer part of us and they really don't have that much to do with each other. The, the body and the inner person are really a disconnected, even antagonistic. This, according to a lot of Greek thought, this body is just a prison house for the soul and someday we will shuffle off this mortal coil and then we will be free. And we will be We will be free. So think and believe what you want. That's great. But then do with your body the very opposite. No problem. There's no need for those things to be aligned. It's okay. Which is quite problematic. The point is, this type of severing of faith from our actions, being from doing is unbiblical, and it's just simply nonsensical. 
But it's a culture's way of things, which is why people say all the time, Jesus is Lord, but do whatever sexual acts they want with their body, whatever they feel inclined to, because what does one really have to do with the other? It's why people can say God is love and quote scripture ad nauseum, but it has them also ignoring local and global neighbors in, in their need, in their hours of need. We have the homeless or the widows or the orphans, as James talks about, locally, or, or the refugees globally. But we don't even touch it. The cultural compartmentalization is destructive and deceptive, and it has crept into the church, and we are all often unaware of it. And so James, in his love, calls it out. He says, guys, be hearers and doers. Be hearers and doers of the word. An apprentice of Jesus is one whose very being has been and is being transformed by Jesus. So now their doing is in, in obedience to Jesus. You know, we're, we're in the information age, right? No, no secret there. And th- this puts us in danger because we are constantly living in danger of being merely content consumers. Watching YouTube video after YouTube video, show after show, podcast after podcast, but not doing anything about it. Just consuming more as if that act of consumption itself is going to lead to wisdom. I mean, help me out here. Tell me, how much, how much weight would I lose if I watched every get your six-pack, you know, this way, plank this way, tone your arms, this way video out there, if I watched all of those? And never moved a muscle in response to them. How much weight am I going to lose? It's not going to go so well, right? How's my body going to grow healthier if I only read the new fad diet cookbooks but never actually, you know, spend all my money on Whole Foods and then eat in that way? Nothing's going to change. So could it be, could it be that we are, more often than we'd like to admit, fans in a stadium watching and talking and critiquing from seats rather than on the field listening to the coach and sweating it out at cost to ourselves for the good of others. Maybe so. We're called to be hearers and doers, understand and to take action. James makes it super clear. And after calling us out, um, James, he's going to press in, right? He's not going to let us off the hook and keep it abstract and floating at all. He, he wants to see it embodied. He's a good teacher, so he's going to lean into some application and practice. So look what he says in verse 26. He says, <clears throat> If anyone thinks he is a follower of Jesus and does not bridle his tweets, Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook, but deceives his heart, this person's Christianity is worthless. I mean, that's what it says, right, essentially? (laughs) Christianity that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the bipartisan idolatries, trendy godless ideologies of the spirit of the age and the sin-normalizing narratives of Netflix. That's the Heath standard version, I guess you'd say. I wouldn't buy it. Just don't buy that version. Maybe two on the nose. I mean, you get the point, right? You get the point. Severing our faith from action, splitting being and doing, does spiritual violence to our own souls. We are made to be integrated, holistic beings. 
to will one thing what the Father wills, to love him and to love others and to live in peace and shalom with each other. It also does not honor God and insults the work of Jesus Christ who lived a truly, fully integrated life. He had a body. He was incarnate. It was good. And he died that we in this creation might be made whole. And it does damage to our neighbors. A terrible witness. Hypocrisy rolls off their tongue so easily. You say this, you say this. I've heard the words of Jesus. I've read this stuff. Then why do you live so differently? There's a huge gap. Hypocrite. It's a terrible witness. Now, let me say again that James is not against salvation by grace through faith. This is not earning our salvation. This is not legalistic living. This doing is not running on a performance culture treadmill. It is walking with God as he rebuilds the kingdom and it's partnering with him. And James, oh, this is so good. James is consistent with the entirety of scriptures. Can I, can I show you something brilliant hidden in James, James's words here? This is so good. See, what we're going to see here is that, that James aligns um, all the scriptures and shows that how hearing and doing are, are working throughout all of scripture. So um, back up with me. Remember Exodus, right? Remember the story of the Exodus. If you're, if you're new to the scriptures, maybe you know it a little bit, but um, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. God's people were sl- enslaved in Egypt under a cruel taskmaster, that was crushing them, and they could not save themselves. They could not save themselves, but God could. He could save them, and he did. God carried them out of the house of slavery and oppression. He carried them through a split sea that should have been their death, but becomes their vehicle of life. He conquers the enemy through that same vehicle of death that becomes the vehicle of life. Then he brings them to this mountain Like out in the boonies, he brings them to this mountain where he gives himself to them. They have a a wedding ceremony of sorts, and I do, and I do. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with, with the very words of God tells the people, and then there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's blood spilled, offering sacrifices, it's splattered all over the place, it gets a little, little gnarly there, um, I admit. But then we get this, we get this, Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, look at this. Look what James is doing. Look how integrated he is within the story of all of scripture. Exodus 24, 7. Then he, as Moses, he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. Naseh v'nishma. We will do and we will hear. You see it? See what James is doing? He's reaching right back into the story of history and redemption, right back into the fact that God redeemed and restored a people and crushed their enemies and brought them into this place where he's going to lead them into the promised land. And he says, because I have done this, live this way. And they say, we will do it. We hear it. And they don't do it, and they die, right? James says, look, guys, Jesus has come. God has come in the flesh. God has come down again. But this time it wasn't Sinai. This time it was Calvary. 
And Jesus himself was the sacrifice that has freed us from the bondage that we were in. And he has given us his spirit, the spirit of freedom, that we can be like him, that we can be truly human, that we can actually now have the power to truly understand because his spirit is in us and the power to respond because his spirit is in us. See, James knew the story of the scripture and he's saying God's people have always been people who were called to hear and do. Jesus knew the Sermon on the Mount well. uh, James knew the Sermon on the Mount well. James knew the teachings of Jesus really well. And so James knew full well that Jesus didn't give the Great Commission in the following way. James knew that Jesus didn't give the commission in the following way. This is uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, altered version. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to think and talk about these things, to produce content and media about them, but not to do them. Opposite, right? Go teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And James also knows that Jesus didn't say, if you love me, you will hear what I say, but do nothing about it and ignore me. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey me. And so, following Jesus involves more than knowing things. It is the way of embodied loving trust, faithful obedience. It means we do what he says because we love who he is. And we love who he is because he has first loved us. Now, this past week, as I was reflecting on this, and it's also um, up in Portland um, for, a, for a concert, um, for a concert, uh, for a conference. Um, wow. I got back yesterday. I'm tired. Um, <clears throat> this question was, was stirring in my soul. Do I believe what I say I believe? Because while at this conference, there was a pastor who got up and spoke, and he just spilled his guts out. His passion was just all over the place. On what does it mean to be a witness? On evangelizing and seeking the lost so that they might be saved by by the power of Christ. Talking about the biblical mandate to be witnesses in this world. And, And I thought, do I really believe? Do I really believe that humanity is separated from God by their sin? That their only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that goes out through the preaching and proclamation of the word, telling people about Jesus. Do I really believe that evil will be judged because we have a good and righteous God and that repentance and trust in Jesus will be honored and being eternally in his presence is a reality? Do I believe that those I know who aren't followers of Jesus, my neighbors, I can give you the names of them on my street, or those people who are regulars at Inklings. Or the people I'm constantly seeing at Trader Joe's. Do I believe that they are truly heading towards a terrible future? That they don't have peace in their heart now, but, but they're heading towards a terrible future if they keep rejecting the love and grace and hope found in Christ? Do I believe those things? Because if I do, then why in the world am I not talking to them more about this Jesus and his manifold beauties. 
Why am I not praying more relentlessly for the lost? And this isn't like a whipping session where it's like, I'm not doing enough. It's a heart session, an affection session, a do I trust him session. I believe what I say I believe. Because this inventory of, of my actions, this, this, this audit of my doings has revealed in, in me, I believe, a gap. I mean, why is evangelism so few and far between for this guy who is standing up in the pulpit? I mean, do I load it all into Sundays? Can I tell people about Jesus throughout the rest of the week? I sure hope so. I have un- heard and understood Christ's words on being a witness to the lost, but have I been a hearer only? At times, absolutely. I mean, I could go on, right? Hurry, anxiety, controlling nature and tendencies. Do I trust God with the time I have actually been given? Why am I living out to these doings? Do I believe what I say about our Lord on Sunday and then the rest of the week? But by his grace, um, and thankful um, for his grace, he's leading me, he's teaching me. <laughs> Uh, to become more of a hearer and a doer, to move from mirror Christianity, seeing him walking away, forgetting, to mere Christianity of knowing I'm united to this Jesus. And he wants to be with me, and I abide with him. And I obey out of love, and in his grace, he's making me more like him. So increasingly, um, there's a verse that, that is just wonderfully haunting and challenging. And I, I, I truly believe it's in James's mind when he writes this, because he knows the Sermon on the Mount. Again, James is like a mashup of the Sermon on the Mount and Proverbs. And I, I believe he has a, a teaching of Jesus in his head when he says, hearers and doers, um, that he expands on when, when, as he talks about this mirror. So here it is, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Then we'll, we'll bring this to a close. This is Jesus' teaching. After the most famous sermon of all time, this is how he concludes it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he will be like a wise man. Hearing, doing, wisdom. It's all right there. He will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus seems quite concerned that we hear the word of truth that we hear who he is and that we do it and that we would be securely lodged on the rock who is Christ, that we might weather any storm that comes our way. Because the contrast in here isn't those who have storms and those who don't. We all have storms. There's no get out of storms, trials, free card. We will all face those. The question is, will we respond in wisdom and trust him? Or will we play the fool and trust some other God who does not have the capacity to hold us firm in the storm. If we are to live well with wisdom in the storming world, we are to do what Jesus says. So out of love, let us be wise and hear and do what Jesus has said. 
And so as you go away this week, um, I just want to put these three things up really briefly for you to maybe write down and think on as you enter into the rest of your week. I won't dig into them. I just want to offer them to you. They've helped me. I pray they help you. First is this. In what area have you been a hearer but not a doer? How is God calling you to faithful obedience? In what area of your life And most likely, you know it right away because there's something you've been pushing away and the Spirit of God has been working on you and you keep pushing it away because it's too painful to deal with. It will cause a dying to self that you know will hurt, so you just keep buffering yourself against it. In what area have you been a hearer but not a doer? How is God calling you to faithful obedience? Maybe it's an act of confession. Maybe it's an act of service. Maybe it's an act of discipline, getting up and being in the word before the day attacks you with its narratives. Second, when reading the scriptures, relentlessly ask this question, what in this text am I to obey? We need more than information. We need formation. We need to respond to the word of God. Don't just read, get some data, move on. But pray, ask, what in this am I supposed to obey? that practice in your reading. And then third, today begin practicing what James has taught us. We are in the book of James after all. Tame your tongue. You can start at lunch today with, with your friends or your spouse or whoever. You don't have to say everything you have the urge to say. Did you know that? I'm learning this. It's a fantastic thought. We don't have to say everything that rolls or roils around in our brain or heart. A lot of it is not healthy. It is not God-honoring. It is not neighbor-loving. Tame your tongue. Ask for his help to do so. Next, take a next step in caring for someone in need. I don't know what it is. It doesn't have to be big. Take some tiny little step. Because when James talks about orphans and widows, those, those terms are literal, but they are also representative of all those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, and those who are in need. Ask the Lord for sight to see that in your community, in your circles. And take some small next step in caring for those in need. And then third, turn aside from any staining influence or activity. This is about holiness, seeking Christ first. Resist the broken ways of the world and turn to the beauty of Jesus that forms us in his image. And maybe that means shutting off some show that you love and you're addicted to, but you know it does bad things to your brain. Maybe it means stopping the conversation that you keep having with your spouse or a friend because it's just toxic and it's just you beating a dead horse and you're griping and not offering anything helpful. I don't know what it is. He does. So, with those teachings from James, let us enter into this week being hearers and doers. To Christ be the glory. Heavenly Father, uh, you're amazing, Lord Jesus. The fact that you would take on a body into this world and this mess and join us um, in it, that you might save us from it, that we might become partners in you in the flourishing of this world. It's awesome. It's amazing. So Lord, help us to be hearers and doers, not out of guilt, not out of burden, but out of joy that we get to partner with you through the spirit of freedom. Thank you for your great love for us and bringing us in and home despite all the stuff that we've done. We love you. We need you. Be with us in this moment of confession and communion. Amen.